Chapter 11 of Angels of the Battlefield. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. Angels of the Battlefield by George Barton. Manassas and Antietam. Five sisters charged with the care of five hundred patients. Bodies of the dead consumed by the flames. The military hospitals at Gordonsville and Lynchburg. Boonesboro and Sharpsburg selected for hospital purposes for the men wounded at Antietam. General McClellan's kindness to the sisters. A man who had met sisters during the Crimean War. The brave flag-bearer. There was scarcely a time from the opening of the war until its close that some of the Sisters of Charity were not located at Richmond. This was a sort of unofficial southern headquarters for them, whence they were sent for duty on the various southern battlefields. The section of country in which the mother house was located was in possession of the Union Army most of the time. But the house was looked upon as sacred property by the generals of both armies, and was never molested by the soldiers. Late in August, 1862, Dr. Williams, the medical director of the Army of the Potomac, made a hasty summons for a detachment of sisters to wait upon the sick and wounded at Manassas, where a severe battle had just taken place. Five of the sisters immediately left Richmond for the scene of the conflict. When they arrived at Manassas, they found 500 patients, including the men of both armies, awaiting them. The mortality was very great, as the wounded men had been very much neglected. The wards of the temporary hospital were in a most deplorable condition, and strongly resisted all efforts of the broom, to which they had long been strangers. It was finally discovered that the aid of a shovel was necessary. One small room was set aside as a dormitory for the sisters. They were also provided with a chaplain, and mass was said every day in one corner of the little room. Fresh difficulties and annoyances presented themselves later in the season. The kitchen, to which what was called the refectory was attached, was a quarter of a mile from the sisters' room, and often it was found more prudent to be satisfied with two meals than to trudge through the snow and sleet for the third. These meals, at the best, were not very inviting, for the culinary department was under the care of Negroes who had a decided aversion to cleanliness. On an average, ten of the patients died every day. Most of these poor unfortunates were attended by either Father Smolders, Father Tuling, or the sisters. After spending a long while at Manassas, the sisters received orders from General Johnston to pack up quietly and prepare to leave on six hours' notice, as it had been found necessary to retreat from that quarter. They had scarcely left their posts, when the whole camp was one mass of flames, and the bodies of those who died that day were consumed. The next field of labor for the sisters was the military hospital at Gordonsville. There were but three sisters, and they had two hundred patients under their charge. The sick were very poorly provided for, although the mortality was not as great as at Manassas. The sisters had a small room, which served for all purposes. One week they lay on the floor without beds, their habits in a shawl loaned by the doctor serving for covering. The trunk of a tree was their table, and the rusty tin cups and plates, which were used in turn by doctors, sisters, and negroes, were very far from exciting a relish for what they contained. The approach of the federal troops compelled the sisters to leave Gordonsville on Easter Sunday. They retreated in good order toward Danville, 
having been obliged to stop at Richmond some time, they did not enter on this new field of labor until much later in the year. At Danville, they found four hundred sick, all of whom were much better provided for than at Manassas or Gordonsville. The sisters had a nice little house, which would have been kind of a luxury had it not been the abode of innumerable rats, of which they stood in no little dread. During the night the sisters' stockings were carried off, and on awakening in the morning the meek religious frequently found their fingers and toes locked in the teeth of the bold visitors. In November the medical director removed the hospital to Lynchburg, as there was no means of heating the one in Danville. The number of the sisters had increased to five, as the hospital was large and contained one thousand patients, most of whom were in a pitiable condition. When the sisters arrived, they found that most of the unfortunate patients were half-starved, owing to the mismanagement of the institution. As a sister passed through the wards for the first time, accompanied by the doctor, a man from the lower end cried out, Lady, lady, for God's sake, give me a piece of bread. The doctors soon placed everyone under the control of the sisters, and with a little economy the patients were provided for, and order began to prevail. Father L. H. Gauch, S.J., a zealous and brave priest, affected much good among the patients. During the three years that the sisters remained in Lynchburg, he baptized one hundred persons. The approach of the federal troops placed the hospital in imminent danger, and it was decided to remove the sick and the hospital stores to Richmond. The Surgeon General of the Confederate Army begged that the sisters would take charge of the Stewart Hospital in that city, which they did on the 13th of February, 1865. Father Gauch accompanied them and continued his mission of zeal and charity. The sisters were then ten in number, and, as usual, found plenty to do to place the sick in a comfortable situation. They had just accomplished this when the city was evacuated, and on the 13th of April they left Richmond for the mother house at Emmitsburg. A terrible engagement took place near the Antietam River, in Maryland, not far from the Potomac, on the 17th of September, 1862. Not only were thousands on both sides killed, but as many more were left wounded on the battlefield, with the farmhouses and barns their only prospective shelter. As the fighting had been from 12 to 15 miles in space, the towns of Boonesboro and Sharpsburg were selected for hospital purposes. The general in charge of the Maryland Division requested the people to aid the fallen prisoners, as the government provided for the northern soldiers, and would have cared for all if it had enough for that purpose. The superior of the Sisters of Charity, with the people of Emmitsburg, collected a quantity of clothing, provisions, remedies, delicacies, and money for these poor men. The overseer of the community drove in a carriage to the place, with Father Smith, C.M., and two of the sisters. Boonesboro is about thirty miles from Emmitsburg, and the wagon containing the supplies reached the town by twilight. Two officers of the Northern Army saw the cornets by the aid of the lighted lamps, and, pointing to the carriage, one said to the other, Ah, there come the Sisters of Charity. Now the poor men will be equally cared for. The sisters were kindly received at the house of a worthy physician, whose only daughter had previously been their pupil. There were in the town four hospitals. The morning after their arrival they set out for the battlefield, having Miss Jeanette, their kind hostess, as a pilot. They passed houses and barns occupied as hospitals, 
fences strewn with bloody clothing, and further on came to the wounded of both armies. The poor men were only separated from the ground by some straw for beds, with here and there a blanket stretched above them by sticks driven into the earth at their head, and feet to protect them from the burning sun. The sisters distributed their little stores among the men, although their wretched conditions seemed to destroy all relish for food or drinks. Bullets could be gathered from the small spaces that separated the men. They were consoled as much as possible, but the sisters scarcely knew where to begin or what to do. If they stopped at one place, a messenger would come to hastily call them elsewhere. In a wagon shed lay a group of men, one of whom was mortally wounded. An officer called the sisters to him, telling them how the mortally wounded man had become a hero as a flag-bearer in the bloody struggle just ended. The poor fellow seemed to gain new strength while the sisters were near him. They were about to move away when the officer recalled them, saying, I fear the man is dying rapidly. Come to him. He has been so valiant that I wish to let his wife know that the sisters of charity were with him in his last moments. Father Smith was summoned and hastily prepared the man for death. The thought of having the sisters near him seemed to fill the poor man with joy, and gave him the confidence and courage to die with a smile upon his lips. Two wounded Protestant ministers lay among the wounded soldiers, and with one of these Father Smith spoke for a long time, while preparing the man for his end. The steward, who seemed delighted to see the sisters, informed them that he had met members of their order during the Crimean War. A northern steward and a southern surgeon became involved in a personal dispute, which ended by one challenging the other to meet him in mortal combat in a retired spot near the battlefield. Both withdrew towards an old shed, at the same time talking in a loud voice, threatening each other in angry tones. No one interfered, and the duel would have taken place had not one of the sisters followed them. She spoke to both of them firmly and reproachfully, taking their pistols from them, and the affair ended by their separating like docile children, each retiring to his post. Nightfall drove the sisters to their lodgings in the town, but they returned early in the morning. The medical director met the sisters, saying, You dine with me today, and added, If you will remain, I shall make arrangements for your accommodations. But he was ordered elsewhere a few hours later and the sisters saw no more of him. The sisters were requested by one of the officers to attend the funeral of the brave flag-bearer. It was about dusk, and eight or ten persons followed the body to the grave, besides Reverend Father Smith and the sisters. Presently, they saw about two hundred soldiers on horseback, galloping towards them. A few of the horsemen approached the group of mourners, and taking off their caps and bowing, one of them said, I am General McClellan and I am happy and proud to see the Sisters of Charity with these poor men. How many are there? Two, was the reply. We came here to bring relief to the suffering, and we return in a day or so. Oh, he replied. Why can we not have more here? I would like to see fifty sisters ministering to the poor sufferers. Whom shall I address for this purpose? Father Smith gave him the address of the superior Emmitsburg. Then he asked, do you know how the brave standard-bearer is doing? He was informed that the flag-bearer was just about to be buried, whereupon he joined the procession and remained until after the interment. General McClellan, at this time, was in the full flush of a vigorous manhood, 
with the added prestige of a West Point education. His command was considered the finest body of men in either the Union or the Confederate Army. Just prior to the Battle of Antietam, General McClellan had ordered a review of his troops before the President and the members of his cabinet. It was a magnificent sight to see 70,000 well-drilled and well-dressed soldiers keeping step to the tune of martial music. What a difference between then and now. The finest blood in the nation lay spilled upon the field of Antietam. The dread hand of death had broken up and demoralized the Army of the Potomac. General McClellan was the idol of his men, and was affectionately styled Little Mac. Upon his staff were two volunteers from France, the Comte de Paris and the Duc de Chartres. They were grandsons of King Louis-Philippe, were commissioned in the Union Army, and served without pay as aides-de-camp to General McClellan. The Comte de Paris has written what is considered to be the best and most impartial history of the Civil War extant. Both of these distinguished volunteers were with General McClellan at the time of his conversation with the sisters. About this time, the work of removing the wounded soldiers to Frederick City and Hagerstown began. During the time the sisters remained on the battlefield, they went from farm to farm trying to find those who were in most danger. The sisters were in constant danger from bombshells which had not exploded, and which only required a slight jar to burst. The ground was covered with these, and it was hard to distinguish them while the carriage wheels were rolling over straw and dry leaves. The farms in the vicinity were laid waste. Unthreshed wheat was used for roofing of tents or pillows for the men. A few fences that had been spared by the cannonballs were used for fuel. The quiet farmhouses contained none of their former inhabitants. Stock, in the shape of cattle and fowl, seemed to have disappeared from the face of the earth. Even the dogs were either killed or had fled from the appalling scene. It was very remarkable also that on none of the battlefields during the war were there any carrion birds, not even a crow, though piles of dead horses lay here and there. Some of these animals were half-burned from the efforts made to consume them by lighting fence-rails over them, but this seemed rather to add to the foulness of the atmosphere than help to purify it. Long ridges of earth with sticks here and there told, So many of the northern army lie there, or So many of the southern army lie there. General McClellan's army was encamped in the neighborhood, with arms stacked, shining in the sun like spears of silver. A northern soldier was rebuking a sympathizing lady for her partiality towards the fallen southerners, and said, How I admire the sisters of charity in this matter. When I was in Portsmouth, Virginia, they were called over from Norfolk to serve their own men, the southerners, in their hospitals, and labored in untiring charity. When, a few weeks later, our men took the place, and the same hospital was filled with the northern soldiers, these good sisters were called on again, when they resumed their kind attention, the same as if there was no sectional change in the men. This, he continued, was true Christian charity, and I would not fear for any human misery when the sisters have control. This, young lady, is what all you young ladies ought to do. The following day Father Smith celebrated two masses in the parlor of the house at which he was stopping. The sisters left this place on the 8th of October, having spent six days among the wounded soldiers, who had nearly all been removed at this time from the neighborhood. End of chapter 11